Thanks, guys. Give them a big hand tonight. Thanks to everybody coming and helping and helping us lead and serve the Lord in worship tonight. Well, you're going to have a chance to greet each other in a few minutes, but right now what I'd like to do is just ask you to just get ready because this is a portion of Scripture tonight that we need to go through that is a little different, Revelation chapter 14. But um, I'm not going to go straight to Revelation tonight because there's something that I need to teach upon so that you kind of can see the whole scope. And if you remember, some of this I pulled from my notes from when I preached through the uh, book of Romans on a Wednesday night here. We spent over two years going through the book of Romans. But I want to talk to you tonight about who this 144,000 is, what's happening, where is Mount Zion, uh, what's the three angels, the message of the three angels there. We want to go through that carefully this evening. And the more I worked on this, I had to cut this message in half. So it's going to feel like I stop it kind of abruptly. But if not, I would have the anointing of the Antichrist and wear out the saints this evening. And I don't want to do that. Last week, we looked at 666. And I told you, you know, you didn't have to worry about 666. And uh, people will know what they're taking. They won't be deceived. It'll be a sign that they want to worship the beast. If you remember, we've looked at a lot of things. We, we've looked at the battle between the... the the dragon and the woman. We have looked at the, the, just the, some terrible plagues that will come upon the earth. We have looked at um, the triumph of the Lamb. We've looked at you know, what's happening in heaven. Last week, we looked at the beast that comes up out of the sea, the beast that comes up out of the land, and then we looked at 666 in closing. But now we come to a passage of Scripture that has probably been, next to 666, one of the most misinterpreted and misapplied passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. There are certain uh, entire cults that have been built around this 144,000, and you may know exactly who I'm talking about when I mention that. But I need to talk to you about Israel for just a moment, <clears throat> because a lot of this has to do with Israel tonight. Moses loved the people of God. Moses was on the mountain. He was praying. He received the Ten Commandments. And God had originally appointed Israel to be a nation of priests. God had originally appointed Israel that the entire nation was to carry the gospel to the nations. And I've gone over that both on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, so I won't take time with that, but that was a part of God's original plan. A group of people came out of Israel to become priests because of that famous story of when Moses came down to the mountain and there was this, all this paganistic worship that was taking place. And so <clears throat> there was a plague that came upon them and then God called out the tribe of Levi. So <clears throat> God was going to wipe them all out. And one of the most famous prayers of the Bible was how Moses interceded for the children of Israel. God told Moses, now get this for just a moment. God told Moses, Moses, I'm going to start all over with you. And that's a pretty big deal. I'm going to start all over with you. It would, it would have preserved, if you remember as we went through Genesis, it would have preserved the godly lineage. It would have preserved the Seth lineage. It would have preserved everything. But Moses prayed in Exodus 32, verse 32. He says, now if you will only forgive their sin, but if not... Erase my name from the record you have written. Boy, that's a powerful thing. Moses is saying, if you're not going to forgive them, wipe me out. And as I look at that tonight, and I talk to you this evening, you have to understand this is the same passion that the Apostle Paul had for the nation of Israel. But Paul takes and does something and begins to preach and teach something in the New Testament that really still draws a great dividing line. But Paul begins to teach and apply the teachings of Jesus, and, and this, some of this is going to sound so academic, but I don't know any other way to, to give it to you than just, just put it out there and read you some Scripture so that hopefully, hopefully it'll help you understand this 144,000. Israel is more than those who are ethnic or national Jews. Israel is more than those who are ethnic or national Jews. Now, 
if you know me, I told you the stories I just told you because I am not anti-Muslim and I'm not anti-Semitic. That's what I'm trying to get across on Sunday mornings in these messages. It doesn't mean that I agree with the Jewish conclusions, and it doesn't mean that I agree with the Muslim conclusions any more than I agree with the Hindus or any more than I agree with some people of certain political parties. But in building those relationships and going like Jesus did to people, what you hope to have is a godly influence. But having said what I've just said, there have been many people talk about Israel being replaced, and nowhere in the Bible do you find that Israel is replaced. Is there's a whole branch of theology called replacement theology that says that Israel, national Israel, and ethnic Israel doesn't matter anymore. Probably, if you were to have, and I don't recommend this uh, because, you know, it gets sold and the government gets a copy of it as well, but if you were to take a DNA test, you might f be surprised to find out you have some small percentage of Jewish heritage in your blood. I know one of our children do. And um, it's not, uh, it doesn't make you Jewish, but you are Jewish. And I hope to be able to show you that tonight as we get to this passage that's been so misapplied and so misconstrued. Let me read you eight verses from Romans chapter 9. And if you were with me, you remember I did three or four messages on this just during that one series. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ. I'm not there yet. Okay? I'm just being honest. I'm not there yet. I'm not willing to be accursed from Christ for your sake. I'm saying, listen, repent, and go to heaven with me. If not, too bad. <laughs> okay? I'm just, just, I'm just not there yet. But this is true. Moses, it was true. Paul, it was true. I could, I could wish to be accursed. There's no anti-Semitism here. We've got to remember for the first hundred years, the church was basically a Jewish church. It was only as it began to spread more and more the gospel among the Gentiles, it soon became obvious to that Jewish church that God was reaching out to the Gentiles. Paul would be known as the apostle to the Gentiles. So, if that would save them, they are the people of Israel, and I've underlined some things here that you might want to circle as we read, they are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. Now, you're an adopted child as well. Doesn't mean you're not adopted. But God chose them for the reason that I said in the beginning of this message, to be a witness to the whole world. They sinned greatly. God was going to destroy them. Moses interceded for them. That's how the Levites were called out. God revealed his glory to them, the Shekinah, he made covenants with them and gave them his law, the Old Testament. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him or serving him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything. I mean, there's a clear confession Christ is God, and He is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Well then, has God failed to fulfill His promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children, for the Scriptures say, Isaac is the son, the son of promise. If you remember, I told you all of that will feature into Revelation. Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of promise are considered to be Abraham's children. In other words, everyone, Gentile and Jew, slave and free, male and female, the only way to God the Father is through Christ the Son. The only way to heaven is through Christ. Now, that's important to understand because after the rapture, things are going to change. 
The message won't change. The way of salvation won't change. But there will be a national awakening. I shared with you, I think, last week or a week before last. I have to go back and look at my notes. But I shared with you about a Messianic congregation in my hometown that sometimes I go and visit. And my niece is a, a member there, and she's not Jewish in any sense, but she just loves the people that are there. I've shared with you, we've had Jewish people give their hearts to Christ here at this church, and they have moved away now, and they don't like to be, you know, called and pointed out. Uh, we had Jewish, a Jewish member of our congregation uh, that came to know the Lord. So, I, we've been very blessed with that that has happened here at Woodland. But no one is saved except through Christ. But it doesn't change the covenant God has with Israel. God keeps His Word. Doesn't mean you can get to heaven without Jesus. Doesn't mean every Jewish person is going to heaven, just like it doesn't mean that, that every single Gentile is going to heaven. As I said last week, an American and a Christian, those are not synonyms. Okay? And so it's important to understand what Paul is saying here. God still has a plan. Look at seven things. And again, remember, we've talked about numbers play a lot in the book of Revelation, seven being the number of God. We're going to look at the 144,000, which is 12 times 12, 144, which that multiple of thousands, the tens in it, that, that means that there's more to this number than just literally 144,000 people. There's more than that to this number. But theirs is the adoption. You can write that down. The adoption means that God has, has taken them. He is, they're, they're part of his kingdom. They, are, they were chosen out of all the nations. They were appointed and adopted for a purpose that has not been completely fulfilled yet. Now, that's important. That purpose is not, as long as I'm alive, my purpose in life is not over with yet. It's one of the reasons I, that you don't find retirement in the Bible. It's because as long as you're alive, you've got something to do. You may not be able to work like you once used to do. You may not have the physical stamina that you once used to have. But you have a purpose. Your mother has a purpose in this life, Kyra, even though that she's very close to that point of slipping into eternity. Theirs is the glory. The Shekinah presence of God lived with them. Now, the manifested Shekinah glory, it was a cloud by day to shield them from the sun. It was a fire by night. It was the cloud of glory that descended at the dedication of the temple. And remember, everybody fell. But I got good news for you. The Shekinah glory dwells with us tonight. It's called the Holy Spirit. He's with us. This is, a, this is a time now when the Holy Spirit is not just upon the kings or the prophets or the priests the Holy Spirit, to all who confess their faith in Christ. But you've got to remember how special it was. No other nation had the glory of God. And I think I'm correct. I didn't go back and research. Sometimes I get off on a rabbit trail, so I'll do this one real quick. I believe I'm correct in this. We've got written history back for 3,300 years. I believe I'm correct in that. No other nation has recorded the Shekinah glory of God like Israel has recorded in their history. And so you've got to understand just how special made the, theirs was the covenant. God made a national covenant, an everlasting covenant with Abraham. We talked about that in Genesis. There was the law. When you read the law, you're reading about the Old Testament. But when you look at all 66, of the Bi 66 books of the Bible, only two of those books were written by a Gentile, Luke. And that was Luke in Acts. So all six, so when I hear anti-Semitism, and I talk with my friend, I say, I am so grateful for the Jewish people. I'm so grateful for their contribution. I'm so grateful for the faith. I'm so grateful for what God did for them. I am so grateful for my Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. Okay? This summer I was telling you, Becky and I had lunch and, and met the Harbinger guy. What's his name? Wrote the Harbinger? Rabbi whatever. We really enjoyed meeting him and spending time with him. And, and um, I told you I'd get off on a rabbit trail sometime. But I had some conversations with him about this and about some of my Jewish friends. And um, I said, Rabbi, how? I mean, you were raised Jewish and your, your family and disowned you. How do I build these relationships? He said, just be a friend. When they're ready, they will ask you. 
they will ask you, don't try to push it down their necks, don't try to force them. Because, and this is important, I'm not trying to make Christians out of my Jewish friends. I'm trying to lead them to Jesus. Because after I went to Israel, when they think Christian, they think something totally different than you and I think. Adolf Hitler was a Christian and tried to slaughter them. The Crusaders were Christians and would ride into town and slaughter them. The Pope called for their executions. That's what they think of when they think of Christian. That's the reason we cling to what Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men nigh unto myself. Does that make sense? Do you follow where I'm going with this? So theirs is not only the law, theirs is the, the worship, the worship of God. And we've got to remember, we define this so many times at Woodland. Worship is not just what we did here singing. It's not just sitting here listening to the word. But worship is serving God. It's when you do your ministry. It's when you take care of your family. But you've got to understand, all the nations around them were so polytheistic and animalistic. The great nation of Egypt, the Babylonians, the Persians, the, 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 all of these nations, the Syrians, everything around them, they were surrounded by incredibly gigantic statues and engineering marvels. Nobody talks about the engineering marvels of, of the Israeli nation. The only time you hear about the is, any engineering marvel is the construction of the temple or maybe of Solomon's home. But you hear about, you know, you hear about Nebuchadnezzar's palace. You hear about the hanging gardens. You hear about Thebes in Egypt. You hear all of this, all of this man-made religion and yet through persecution, they stayed faithful to God and they worshiped God. And oftentimes, it was because of their worshiping and bearing witness to the living God. Theirs was the promises. Isaiah chapter 11 gives us a wonderful description of how God will draw all of his people in. In 1967, I was in the seventh grade. It was the first time, first time that Jerusalem had not been trodden down by the Gentiles, that Jewish people were totally in control of Jerusalem. That happened when I was 12 years old. I remember that well. Do you remember your little papers you got called the Weekly Reader? And I remember reading that in the Weekly Reader and looking at it and going home and talking to my parents about it. And it was just so exciting knowing that a prophecy had been fulfilled. Now, I don't know if... I will live to see the rapture. I believe it could happen tonight. But I do know God made promises and covenants to them. And I do know for the first time in history, and it happened in my lifetime, and as a boy, I was witness to it on the news that for the first time since the Romans came in and burnt Jerusalem to the ground, pulled stone after stone down just like Jesus said they would, suddenly Israel was no longer trodden by the Gentiles. Isn't that powerful? So we can't be anti-Semitic here. Theirs was also the Messianic lineage. Christ was going to come through them. And that's so important to understand, the Messianic lineage that belonged to them. And tonight, we rejoice in a risen Savior, a Savior, the Son of God, who was born of Mary, and both of his family lines, so his adopted father, and his life was generated through the Word of God, not regenerated, and not through sexual activity, but generated, just like Genesis. Genesis is the key to this whole thing. Generated in the womb of Mary by the Word of God, he became the Son of Man. So Paul goes on to say then, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. So tonight, and my friends know that I believe this, I am a Jew. Spiritually speaking, not racially speaking, I'm not Jewish, but I'm a true Jew because I'm one whose heart is right with God, not because I'm a good man and not because I kept the law, but because I believe in what Christ did for me at Calvary. Does that make sense? So let's look at a couple of other passages here. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose right heart is right with God and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. 
Becky, look that rabbi's name up. That's driving me bananas. You, got, you don't have your phone? Somebody look up the harbinger. This is the only time you can look on your iPhone, you know, but uh, I'm just driving me crazy. I can't remember his name right now. Look at Romans 4.12. And Abraham is also the spiritual father. Say that word with me. Spiritual father. Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. Then we come down to this passage that I want to look at with you tonight. So we've established something. We can't be anti-Semitic. God still has a plan for the Jews, but you can't come to Christ before the rapture or after the rapture any other way than through Jesus Christ. And so this chapter then becomes a fascinating chapter to me as I read it and study it and reflect upon it. And I can't tell you how many commentaries and how many books and how many papers over the years I've read on this. And even, what's his name? Jonathan Kahn. Thank you. I knew that. And I just, now I can let it go. I can let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and the Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. By the word, the word harp there is the same word we get our word guitar from. Heinz, so you ought to like that. That's where it's, so when we get to heaven, I may know how to play the guitar because I don't want to know how to play the harp. <laughs> you know, that's where we, it's the very same word that we get our word guitar from. So it's the sound of many guitarists. You like that, Mark Wilson? Yeah, many guitarists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. We've already looked at all of those and talked about that. But no one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They have kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been purchased from among the people on earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They have told no lies, and they were without blame. And you go, wow. Wow. I mean, this is... It's this one passage right here. It's a lot to wrap your heads around. Well, let's look at it and take it point by point. After everything that we've just read, and I, I interjected so you could understand about the Jewish people, after the war of the dragon with the woman, after the rising of the beast from the sea and the beast from the land, after you see the, the, the plagues that are coming upon the earth, and we talked about the torment that would come to people who still reject Christ, I got to tell you, after we looked last week at the closing of the Mark of the Beast 666 and the doom that was awaiting people that took that, for me, the appearance of the Lamb brings a lot of joy, brings a lot of relief. That's exactly what I think you need to see here. The Lamb gives us joy because wherever Jesus is, there's joy. Wherever Jesus is, there is victory. Wherever Jesus is, there is healing. Wherever Jesus is, there is hope. Wherever Jesus is, though it be the way of the cross, wherever Jesus is, hell trembles. So the appearance of the Lamb after all of this, this brings great joy. Now, the Mount Zion here is not, in my opinion, and there are, and I'm just, I've been honest with you all the way through when there, I think there are important points that uh, there are disagreements. There are some commentators that believe that Mount Zion is literal Mount Zion. I've been on Mount Zion. Um, I, I don't see that because the Bible's very clear that we have now come into a heavenly Mount Zion, a Mount Zion which is in heaven, the church of the living God. And because what we're reading here is happening in heaven, uh, I think this Mount Zion is the heavenly Mount Zion. I don't think it's the literal Mount Zion. Now, there are some extreme dispensationalists that believe that way, and, and you may have been familiar with that. I have talked with them, and I, I'm not even sure how you would get 144,000, especially if this is a symbolic number of, of fullness, how you would get them all on Mount Zion. I mean, that's a, that's a massive amount of people to have. 
So I believe this is the Mount Zion that is in heaven because they're in front of the throne of God. Do you get that? They're, that's the heavenly throne. That's what we're looking at right here. The 144,000 with the names of God, Jesus, the Father, that's on their foreheads. That's in direct contradistinction, not contradiction, but contradistinction to those who take the mark of the beast upon their foreheads. Okay? And, you know, we talked last week, that wasn't a credit card, that wasn't a literal 666, but somehow or another, how are that's going to work? The word that is used here for them, if I could go back up here and look at this for just a moment, the word that is used here for them is the same word, Greek word, that we use for our first fruits offering. They are our first fruits offering. These are symbolic of all, I believe, of Jewish believers who come to know Christ after the rapture. They are persecuted, they are hunted down. This is a number of people, of Jewish people, that there's going to be a revival that takes place after the rapture. There will be a revival that takes place. Remember I told you we looked at last week of how the beast will, will receive demonic power to perform counterfeit miracles, and eventually Israel will see through that because of the promises of God. There will be this national revival. But these are people that the Scripture clearly say that these people have been redeemed or purchased. And you might want to circle that word in your outline. They have been purchased from the earth. They are first fruits offering. First fruits offering, if you're not familiar with that, Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 10, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I am giving you and you harvest its first crops, bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. The priest would wave that grain offering and in doing so it was saying all of the harvest belongs to you. You bought the first fruits offering, but it all belonged to you. It's what we teach here about tithing. It all belongs to God, but God says, bring me the 10% that you might prove me, that you might test me. God says, if you want to be blessed, do that. And it's always interesting to me, people don't have a whole lot of complaints with a lot of things that Jesus tells them to do, but they sure do want to argue about tithing, Okay. Because tithing represents something close to us. It represents, you know, mammon. It represents ourselves. It represents a God in our life. Revelation chapter 5 and 9, you remember when we looked at this, and they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed or redeemed. Your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. These Jewish people are not there because they're Jewish. They are there because they came to know Jesus Christ. The church has been raptured out of here. They came to know Jesus Christ. They are preaching. They are declaring the words of the Lord. But now when you look at this and you go, they, they kept themselves as pure as virgins, and you read all of this, you go, wait a minute, is God saying somehow or another that something's wrong with sex? No, that's not what he's saying at all. All of these positive attributes you read about their lives, it's because of Christ. The fact that they're pure as virgins, the fact that they're sp speaking the truth is not because they were exceptionally good people or more moral people than you and I were. It's because of the redemptive work of Christ. That's the reason I went back and read to you Revelation 5, 9. Your blood is ransomed people. They were redeemed. They were bought. They were purchased. Now, there are some people in some commentaries, and you may have heard this, and I'm just bringing it out so you'll know. It can't be backed up scripturally that these people will go to heaven simply because they're going to rebuild the temple and they're going to be offering sacrifices and that would please them. There is no need for more sacrifices. The Bible is clear. Jesus was the final sacrifice. Do you get it? The final sacrifice. So what I take away from this is live purely. I think the NIV and maybe a couple of versions and, and it's, it's an accurate translation says they have not defiled themselves with women. That doesn't make you feel very good, does it, ladies? That's the reason I think the NLT just takes the thought-for-thought thought translation right here. It's not, God is not saying anything is wrong with sex. When God, remember Genesis, we've, I keep going back to Genesis, the whole book. God created man and woman. God created sex. 
God created them to know each other, to love each other. Somehow, we just dealt with this when I went through the book of Ephesians before the Christmas holidays. Uh, we dealt with marriage and how that God blesses matrimony and that our, our, our relationship, it reveals what Christ and the Father or the Christ and the church is like to the world. But these are people, not necessarily that they were, they were virgins, they lived purely. They were pure. It's why when I say to somebody, I had a lady say to me, when I look in the mirror, all I can see is all the guys I slept with in college. And I go, no, no. Once you've been born again, all of that is wiped away. All of that has been wiped away. Nobody can hold that over you. Only the devil can hold that over you. Only the enemy can hold that over you. But you don't have to take that from him. Or maybe a friend that won't let you forget, and that's not really a friend. That's one of those toxic friendships. Or maybe somebody wants to bring it up to you. But God will never bring And you don't have to take that from the devil. You don't have to take that from anybody you call a friend. You don't have to take that from any preacher. You have been born again. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that tonight? That's exactly... You don't look in the mirror and define yourself by your past sins. You don't look in the mirror and define yourself by an abortion or by, a, by being a thief or by being a drug dealer or by being a prostitute or anything of that nature. You look at yourself now in the mirror and you see yourself through the blood of Jesus Christ, ransomed by his blood, and there is nothing that hell can do to violate the blood of Jesus. Amen. So that's what you're looking at right here. They lived purely because of what? They lived honestly then. There's no such thing as a dishonest Christian. <laughs> There's no such thing as a lying Christian. You live blamelessly. And this is a dangerous age to live in because people can start a lie about you on the internet and all of a sudden you find your character assassinated and in this age you're, you've got to prove yourself innocent. And it's just a, we live in a dangerous time. And so they live blamelessly. But I want you to notice all of this is because they follow Christ. They have been purchased. They have been purchased. They kept themselves pure as virgins. And look at this phrase. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. Underline that scripture in your outline. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. One of the songs that I hope we get to sing in heaven is this. I have decided to follow Jesus. Help me sing it if you know it. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, Still I will follow, no turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. I'll not turn back. I'll not turn back. Don't you think it would be a good song? I mean, won't you be glad you sang that when you get to heaven? <laughs> Come on, Victory. I mean, think about that. When you, especially when you get to the close of this chapter, think about that. These people, they decided they'd follow Christ. And that wasn't an easy thing for people early in those days. And it wasn't an easy thing for some of you. And it's not going to be an easy thing after the rapture. Revelation is very clear about that. But Jesus says, he called the crowd to join his disciples. He called the crowd. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. For if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. I believe these are martyrs that are coming out of the tribulation. And there is a fullness of number that will come. 
The application, remember I told you Revelation always has application for us as well as all the people who heard it, is one day all of our sorrows is going to be transformed into joy. I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my pain. I'm trading my heartache. I'm trading all the stuff in this life. One day God is going to make it joyful. And I mean, we've all had something. We've all had something happen unfair to us. You know, we could stand and tell a story. Each of us could tell our own story of something unfair that's happened to us. You know, we could tell a story about maybe getting fired from a job so the company could save a little money. We could tell a story about a mother or father that didn't take care of us. We could tell a story tonight about how a husband or a wife abandoned us. We could tell a story about dealing with a handicap. We could tell all kinds of stories, but one day, one day, all of this horrible stuff that we've been looking at, one day, God is going to transform it, and you're going to sing What song would you like to sing when you get to heaven? Amazing Grace. I see the Lord. He is high and lifted up. Victory, oh, victory is mine. I mean, I can't think of all kinds. I hope you don't think this is bad. I prayed about this before I shared this with you. One of my favorite songs, I'm going to sing zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day. Little bluebird sitting on my shoulder. You go, that's so uns... No, it's not. The only way you're going to have that kind of day is if Jesus is Lord. I'm serious. I'm going to sing it. We're going to fall on our faces and worship the Lamb. Heaven is going to be wonderful. All the music I've heard around the world, heaven is going to be wonderful. Well, let's look at the three angels real quickly. Then the third angel... uh, Follow them. It says, anyone who worships the beast and his statue. Let's just skip over that because of time. Go to the first angel. And I think I got my scriptures kind of messed up here. I saw an angel flying. I've got it right here. I saw an angel flying through the sky carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as a judge. Worship him who has made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. I type my scriptures, and so sometimes if I don't proofread carefully enough, I'll miss and get something mixed up here. This angel is going to go through and bear witness to God being our creator. Don't ever get tired of opposing evolution. Don't ever get tired of opposing humanistic teaching. There will come a time the all the earth is going to acknowledge that God created the heaven and earth. But notice what it says about the good news. The good news is eternal. The good news is eternal. That's what, that's the emphasis. It's the eternal good news. And notice what he says, fear God. That's what worship is. Not a, not a fear where you just, you're cowering. If you're born again, you're not cowering. But I love my dad, but I feared him because I knew if I didn't do what I was supposed to do and live like I was supposed to live, dad would take care of things. Do you know what I'm saying? But I knew he loved me. He was never abusive, but he loved me. People who don't know God will call up, if we looked at this already, they'll call upon the rocks to fall upon. They'll try to hide, but they'll still not repent. The second angel, you hear this, is the first time we hear this phrase, Babylon the great has fallen. It's the first time we hear this phrase in the book of Revelation. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon has fallen, that great city has fallen, because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Now here's a good point. To get back, we've talked about prophetic interpretation. We've talked about prophetic speculation. We've talked about prophetic application. There have been people who've always tried to take this and apply it. Apply it to the Roman Catholic Church. There have been some who've tried to apply it to America. There have been some that tried to apply it to the Babylonians. There have some been tried, tried to apply it to Egypt. There have some tried to apply it to Europe. Babylon the Great is a world system. And that's what As I study this, because you go all the way back to the original Babylon in the land of Shinar in Genesis, and I told you when we got there, I would bring this back up, where God told them to scatter, they said, come, let's build ourselves a city. Let's make it out of brick and stone. Let's build ourselves a tower to reach God. Rather than trust God, they decided to trust themselves. Rather than look to God for guidance, they built an astrological tower called a ziggurat try and predict their ways by using astrology. And so God came down and, dis- and, and just scattered the nations. 
Babylon is a world system that wants to live a God-free life, but they always end up making gods for themselves. Follow? Okay, it's very important because we're going to deal with Babylon more as we go through the book of Revelation. The third angel, and I really, this is the difficult part for me. I, I struggle with this here. Those who rejected the lamb and follow the devil will have their wish. And this is a very hard passage of Scripture to read for me. Those who rejected the lamb to follow the devil will have their wish. Then the third angel followed them, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue, we looked at that last week, or who accepts his mark on the forehead or the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. Now remember, we, we broke that down. We looked at it historically. It's going to be some way of saying, I want to serve the beast. So don't be afraid about a credit card or about, you know, you know, I'm not letting anybody put a chip in me, but not because I'm afraid that's the mark of the beast. You will take the mark of the beast because you desire to serve the beast. And that will be after the rapture anyway. And remember what I've always said, if I'm wrong and we're still here after the rapture, I'm going to tell you, I was wrong. Get ready. I told you what was going to happen. <laughs> so, but it is a, people that choose, look at this, they worship the beast. They chose to. We took a lot of time to explain that last week. It has been, now, and this is an interesting way, but this, you go all the way back to Isaiah, you go back to Ezekiel. They must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue, and they have accepted the mark of his name. The wine, the cup of wine, is symbolic of God's wrath. We will deal with that more as we go through the book of Revelation. But I think the reason God chooses that, the cup, is because Remember, Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He took upon himself the sins of this world. He took the wrath of God upon himself. He took the curse of sin upon himself. You've got to remember all of that as you're reading this. That's the reason it's just silly for people just to treat this book lightly or topically. You go through it just line by line. He took the wrath. But for those who reject God's provision for his wrath, it will be poured out upon the sins of this world. And we won't get to it tonight, but next week we'll get to, you know, it's just a description of, of blood running, you know, to the horse's bridle. It's just incredible what's going to be happening. I came to know Jesus with a lot of bitterness in my heart. But I will, I've admitted this to you. I've admitted this to my children. A lot of bitterness in my heart, but a lot of what motivated me to come to know Jesus was I didn't want to go to hell. Okay, that really got a hold of me. And I remember waking up one night and there was a loud clap and a bright flash outside my window and I went down the hall and looked in mom and daddy's room and they were still there. <laughs> I was so relieved. So I don't mock that because here I am 50 years later preaching the gospel. Maybe not quite, I was 16. But I'm preaching the gospel because of what happened. Hell is real. And I know there are some, you're going to read some commentators and some books, they're going to tell you that there's an annihilation. I don't find that in the scripture that there's an annihilation. You're always safe if you stay with what the Bible says. There's nowhere in the scriptures it indicates people are trying to make God in what they want God to be. Hell, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let me just move on to what Billy Graham said here. God will never send anybody to hell. If a man goes to hell, he goes by his own free choice. God has done everything within his power to keep you out. He even gave his son to die on the cross to keep you out. 
You can go to heaven or to hell. The choice is yours. Honey, will you come on up to the piano? What you need to take from that is one day we will either be saved or we will be damned. And that choice is up to us to choose to give our hearts to Christ. That choice is up to you and to me because hell was never prepared for you. Hell was prepared for the devil and his demons. We'll see that as we go through. Hell is not a place. Last Friday night in the funeral, I just loved, I I brought this up Sunday morning, how Lowell was able to share how Charlie and Jeanette Baker came to know Jesus Christ in their small group. And all the difference that made in preaching that funeral that night. And Jeanette's gratitude that she was invited to the small group and Charlie came. People will get saved if we just simply go and love them in Jesus' name. People know by nature, though some try to deny it, people know by nature there's got to be justice in the universe. So we'll have the horrible things that happened that people do to one another. And then somehow or another, God's going to say, oh, it's okay, everybody come to heaven. There's no sin that can dwell in the presence of God. It's why the blood of Jesus is ransomed. It doesn't mean we're sinless, but we do sin less and less, hopefully, as we go along. But we stand there not because we've stopped sinning. We stand there because Jesus ransomed us by his blood. We don't define ourselves by our past. We define ourselves by what God says. So the choice is yours and mine. It's our friends to be saved or to be damned. And that's the reason why I think, maybe not this year, but next year, if the Lord willing, I'm going to come back and do a Sunday morning series, much abbreviated from this, on Revelation. Because people simply don't know about it. They ask me about it. They ask you about it. So what do we do? Avoid the world's values and systems. Avoid Babylon as much as possible. Use our time and our talent and treasure to be witnesses and extend the kingdom of God. Whenever a young couple sees me to get married, I always ask them the same thing. Do you believe you're getting married will extend the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes they go, especially if they haven't been in Woodland for a while. And then I talk to them about marriage being a covenant that they make with God and with each other. And marriage is permanent and what marriage represents. Long before we get to the counseling, this is a covenant you make with God and what God wants to do through your home and your marriage with your neighbors the people you work with through your children and when you're in love you don't often think about the kingdom of God and so you bring them back but mamas and dads and grandpas and grandmas and pastors and deacons and small group leaders and whatever everything we do should be about extending the kingdom of heaven not our comfort we follow Jesus and following the lamb promises you and me a glorious eternal future we'll see some more of that next week let's wrap it up like this one day you and I are going to rest from our hard labors I enjoy what I do for the Lord there are some times my wife came into the office at just the right time today my heart was heavy been a lot of things I've been praying about a lot of things trying to to minister to and just all of a sudden, I had a, just a, a heaviness come over my spirit. And I said, Lord, lift me up. Becky came in my office and in just a moment ministered to me. And there was joy. And that, because I knew what I was preaching on tonight, that just reminded me, one day, I'm telling you, heaven's going to be better than anything you've ever imagined. So this means that we must, God's holy people must endure persecution patiently. 
We must obey his commands and we must maintain our faith in Christ. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes. Now remember, we've been looking to seven churches. Remember, people were dying. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work. For their good deeds follow them. Those believers, this was comfort. This was joy. Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And next week, we're going to talk about the harvest. Amen? Stand with me tonight, and we've had a great time of prayer, and I've kept you longer than normal. What song do you want to sing when you get to heaven? Amazing Grace? You want to sing that? Somebody tell me a song. What song do you want to sing when you get to heaven? Don't say zippity-doo-dah. That's mine. I can only imagine. There's a good one. Somebody else. What song do you want to sing when you get to heaven? Victory in Jesus. I like that one. What would you say? You're a good, good father. Oh, I like that one too. Oh, we'll sing. You and I will sing that together. We'll hold hands and sing that right there to the Lord. You're a good, good father. What else? What song do you want to sing? I'm Made New by Lincoln Brewster. Shower of blessings. How great thou... See, y'all are so much more spiritual than I am. I'm zippity-doo-dye and y'all got all these hymns. In my father's house. Yes. That's where we're going to be. Now think about that. But there is a song we're going to sing to the Lamb. We're going to sing before the throne of God. And I have no doubts that what you can do through each and every one of us here, but I also have no doubts of what you can do through all of us put together. Make us like the 144,000. We'll follow the Lamb wherever He goes. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Good night.